Well, 18 years ago, Cindy and I and our four kids and my mom and dad, we spent a couple of days right after Christmas up in Kankakee, Illinois with my brother-in-law, Bob, and his five kids, my four nieces, my one nephew. And uh, that was the Christmas that mom bought all the grandkids Husker gear. They, uh, they look great. I mean, red, it just fits in for, for Christmas. And there's Sam. It was always hard to keep Sam in a picture. There he is trying to squeak out of the picture. Um, that was back when Nebraska used to go to bowl games back then. <laughs> you know, when we gathered up there, we did all the, like, the normal stuff you do when, when you get together with family. I, if my memory serves me right, there was a turkey and there was a great meal. And, and we exchanged gifts and we played games and we had conversation and we enjoyed being together. But it was also a Christmas that was deeply marked by grief. My sister Kim had died 14 months before, and we weren't all together that first Christmas. But this is our first time our family was together uh, for Christmas. But Kim wasn't there. And so as much as it was, was good to be together, it was deeply marked by grief. And, you know, over the years, as we gather with my family, it's when we go up there, up to Nebraska, and gather for family, we enjoy those things. It is always good to be with my family. But even 18 years later, there's always this lingering sadness around that time because someone's not there, right? And I think we'll always be that way. Someone is not there who should be there. And so there's an experience of grief even now. I remember, I think it was uh, right after Thanksgiving of 2015, and uh, my job usually is put up the tree, and I put up the lights, and I do most of the ornaments except our special ornaments. Cindy does every, all the other decoration, all the other baking, all the other shopping. I do the tree. And uh, I was putting up some of the ornaments, and it, lot, most of them are just like these little things that our kids made when they were in Sunday school or whatever, little paper things that I mean, they're only precious to us. Um, I started putting these on, and I started getting really sad. I actually started crying because Drew and Cass that fall had moved to Alaska to work at a Christian camp up there, and it would be the first time since 1990 when we first started having kids that the kids that we had weren't all going to be home. And I was sad. There was a kind of grief to that, missing one of your kids. You know, we're told that Christmas... It's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. And, and honestly, there's a lot about it that really is wonderful, right? I mean, there's special things about this, this season. But we're told it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year that we should be merry, right? Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, all your troubles will be out of sight. And that's the message that so much of the music of this season tells us. It's the message of the 759 Hallmark movies that have played (laughs) since Thanksgiving until today, and Cindy has watched probably 70% of those, which I'm glad because she has it on while she's baking Christmas cookies. Um, For most of this, this is a time to get with family, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's so marked by memories of being together with family. Christmas is supposed to be like a Norman Rockwell painting, right? Family, togetherness, joy, all that stuff. But you know, when you put the, like, all this expectation, all this cultural, family, even personal expectation of Christmas being the most merry, bright time with the reality of stuff that's sometimes going on in our lives, the grief, the loss, the sadness, and you bring those things together, 
Christmas can be a really hard time. Grief at any time is hard. Grief at Christmas time sometimes is especially hard. And I know that as we are walking through this season, for many of us in this room, grief's a real, real thing that you're walking through. You've lost a loved one this year. Spouse, parent, child, friend. You've gone through a divorce. There's a health issue that you're facing. Um, maybe it's your health issue. Maybe it's a health issue of a loved one. And the, all the uncertainty of that. Um, the grief of alienation, some kind of alienation in your family. The grief of financial uncertainties. And for some, it's, it's even the grief that you've lost your pet this year. There's real grief in these kinds of things. Christmas can simply, for some of us, bring up the pain of our troubled past, the pain of our, our family that just never seemed to work right, right? I mean, all of these kinds of things. Today, we're going to talk about grief. We have been, you might like, why are you talking about grief? Well, we are on this kind of journey of talking about uh, uh, different things that, that arise and are in front of us at Christmas season. So we've talked about expectations in the past several weeks. We've talked about gift giving. We've talked about family and family dynamics, but today we're going to talk about grief. And I know for some of you, this Christmas, it is deep and it is raw and it is hard. And for others of you, it's a little better than it was, but there's still grief that you're walking through. And so if you're walking through grief, whatever level you're walking through grief, what do you do? One author that I, I read a, a little book that she uh, had written uh, who had lost her husband to ALS and she was processing her first Christmas without her husband said she felt like she had three options. She could just ignore it. She could just ignore Christmas, you know, like Christmas with the cranks, just ignore Christmas. And, and honestly, if that is what you need to do uh, and you want to skip some stuff about Christmas, you need to feel free to, to do that. But that was one option. She said, I could ignore it. I could fake it. I could act like I'm okay. I could put on a happy face and just move through Christmas when I'm really dying inside. I could ignore it. I could fake it. Or she said, I decided that I, I wanted to rescue Christmas. Rescue Christmas. And by that, mean, she meant that she wanted to try to actually seek to experience the reality of Christmas in her grief. Reality, the reality of Christmas and, and how that could help her with her grief. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I don't think you have to fake it. I don't think God wants you to fake it as you move through this season. And there may be pieces you want to ignore, but I think God wants us to, in some way, rescue Christmas in the sense that it doesn't have to be what the culture says it is, but, but we experience what God really has for us in this Christmas season. And so I want to offer a couple of thoughts about how you can, can do that. First, in your grief... You can rescue Christmas from the cultural expectation that everything must be merry and bright by seeing Christmas in its true context, in its biblical context. The message that Christmas must be merry and bright is a cultural thing, not a biblical thing. Now, certainly there is some, there's some merry and brightness when you look at the Christmas story, right? I mean, angels appearing to some shepherds, there's some brilliance to that. I mean, that's, there's wonder that God came into our world. But, but when you think about so much of what people walking through that first Christmas actually experienced, it was anything but merry and bright. I mean, think about Joseph, right? 
Think about the plans that he had, a young man betrothed, going to get married, and now his betrothed is with child. Think about all the anguish that he struggled with as he tried to figure out what to do about Mary, right? He's contemplating a divorce because in that culture of betrothals, it's not like our engagement. It took an official act to, to put her away, to send her away. And he was contemplating all the, can you imagine the agony of that for him? An angel showed up and, and talked to him, right? Matthew 1.20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, as he was walking through that first Christmas, was dealing with fear, what to do with Mary. Or think about Mary, this young girl, pregnant and unmarried, something that would have been very shameful in that culture. How few really believed that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit? Sure, Mary. Think of the looks, think of the whispers that she experienced Think about the words that Simeon spoke to Mary when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to be circumcised. Simeon, this godly old man who'd been looking for uh, this day. In, in Luke 2, 34, he says this. He says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword, Mary, will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon tells Mary that what she's gonna, what's going to happen because of this child is going to cost her greatly. She would suffer because of it. Or think about what happened after the Magi visited Jesus. And God had warned them, don't go back to Herod. Don't go tell him where this Jesus has been born. And, uh, and then an angel again appears and, and speaks to Joseph in Matthew 2.13. It says, now when they, the Magi, had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And so Mary and Joseph become refugees at the first Christmas. Now I know there's, there's some weeks of time involved here, but this is the narrative. This is the narrative of the Christmas story that we read. They become refugees. They flee to Egypt. Can you imagine, put yourself in their shoes, a young couple with a young child running for their lives, for the child's life, leaving family and friends and employment and everything that was known to them to go to a foreign land? That's their first Christmas. Think about what Herod does when he finds out that the Magi did not return, Matthew 2.16. It says, then when Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and he sent and he slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem in its vicinity, in all its vicinity, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. This is part of the first Christmas narrative. Christmas is an amazing thing for sure, right? God entered human history, took on human flesh. But the first Christmas was very marred by tragedy and pain and grief. And you can rescue Christmas by realizing 
that it doesn't all have to feel happy. Everything doesn't have to be okay because you're in step with the first Christmas. I love how Bo Stearns puts it. There's this little book called When Holidays Hurt. Uh, I found it uh, electronically. Um, I would highly commend it. Uh, But she said this, Let's make a pact today that when we look around at all the, at the bells and the whistles of Christmas and when we feel alienated from all that is happy, we'll remember that we fit just fine in the first story, the real story. There in that story, our sorrow finds a home among friends and our brokenness finds a Savior who understands. Our brokenness finds a Savior who understands you are not out of step with the first Christmas if you are grieving. And you don't have to fake it. You don't have to act like everything is okay. It's okay to not be okay. Jesus understands your grief. Think about Isaiah 53, 3. It says this about Jesus, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And that word acquainted there, I mean, it means he knows He intimately knows grief. He intimately knows all the twists and the turns and the ups and downs and the complexity of grief, of your grief. Jesus understands how it is when two family members who have suffered the same loss show up to the same gathering and one is just in the depths of grief and the other one's feeling a little bit better and and how can that be you both experience the same loss but but Jesus understands the complexity of that or he understands how maybe you've traveled with your grief a little while and you're this Christmas you're beginning to feel a little bit better but but that feels like a betrayal of your loved one like that you're feeling better and and Jesus gets that too he understands the ups and the downs and twists and turns of your grief he's acquainted with grief so think about grief as we think about grief. I, I want to just like name some myths that are out there. These are things that sometimes we have in our minds. Sometimes people say these things, and these things are not true regarding grief. People with a strong faith don't grieve. You should be back to mostly normal after a few months. Crying is a sign of weakness. Getting angry at God and asking difficult questions means that you have a weak faith. Christians shouldn't grieve if they know their loved one is in heaven. These are not true. These are myths. These are lies. They are not true. If you're grieving this Christmas, it is okay. You may feel out of step with all that around you, all the celebrating around. You may feel out of step with that, but you are not out of step with the first Christmas, with the people of the first Christmas. And I think just by seeing Christmas in its true context, you can rescue Christmas from the need to be merry and bright, and you can receive what God has for you this Christmas. Secondly, in your grief, you can rescue Christmas by experiencing its true meaning by focusing on the one who's come, by focusing on Jesus. And we all know that sometimes all the trappings of Christmas can make it hard to do that, right? Um, all the traveling and the gathering and the baking and the preparing and the gift stuff can make it really hard to focus on Jesus. And yet that is what we simply must do if we're going to rescue Christmas and experience its reality in our grief. So let me mention some ways that you can 
focus on Jesus. And this is, this is nothing new here, but it, these are reminders to you. Focus on his presence with you. His presence, not presence. 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 He's with you. Um, Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. God with us. He really has come. He really is with you. There were so much in my life growing up. God was this distant, far-off God. He is not. He is with us. He has drawn near. He has come. The one who perfectly understands your grief is with you. So focus on his presence. Focus on his name. And, and name is all about character, right, in, in the Old Testament. Focus on his name. Just two chapters later in Isaiah, we read this about how the child is described. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. This is who Jesus is. This is the one who is with you. He is a wonderful counselor. You know, and a counselor is one who, who, who walks with us and, and guides us and gives us wisdom as we navigate difficult, hard things. He's wonderful counselor, which that word has something along the lines of means supernatural. He's like supernatural counselor. In other words, he has wisdom far beyond any human counselor. This is the one who walks with you and guides you and helps you navigate your grief. Wonderful counselor. And he's mighty God. Sometimes when we're walking through grief, we just feel weak, broken, unable, insufficient. Sometimes when you're in the depths of grief, you feel like you can't even breathe. When we are there, when we feel helpless for the battle that we are facing, Jesus is mighty God. One person I read said, he is large and in charge, right? The one who's with you, he's powerful. He holds your hand. He walks with you as a God who is all-powerful and able, who can sustain you and guide you and give you the strength that you need moment by moment as you move through your grief. You can trust him. He's eternal father. Jesus is like a, like a perfect father. And, and, you know, sometimes we have differing experiences with fathers on earth, but, but Jesus is perfect father in all the good sense of what it means to be a good father. He loves you. You're not alone. You're cared for. He's eternal father, which means he's there to stay. He will always walk by your side all the days of your life through every grief. I was the picture that came to my mind as I thought about this, as, again, as I, as I think about a dad. Just picture the dad whose child has had a hard day and is going to bed really sad, hurt, sad, disappointment, crying, and dad is sitting on the side of the bed holding that child, comforting that child, being present. That's who Jesus is in your grief. He's present. He's there. He's with you. He's Prince of Peace. He's the one that brings about shalom, personal well-being, harmony, peace with God. In your grief, he brings peace. As you move through your grief, he brings peace. This is the one who has come. Think about him. Think about who he is. Meditate on these things this Christmas. Focus on what he came to do. Later in Isaiah chapter 61, and these are words that Jesus read 
at the start of his ministry, in other words, saying, this is me, he said, Isaiah 61 says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so that they will be called oaks of righteousness. This is the Savior who came into the world. This is what he came to do, to bring good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort all who mourn. And you know, if you, you read about the life of Jesus in the Gospels, he, he read this and then his you know, ministry was initiated. When you look at how Jesus engages hurting, broken people, he's always showing up with compassion and, and help and, and, and restoring things. That's the Jesus we read about in the Gospels, right? He came to do these kinds of things in your life as well. Focus on what he has yet to do. In Revelation 21, I'm not going to read the passage, but in 21, 3 through 5, we're told that one day Jesus will wipe away every tear, and that there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, that these things will pass away, because he's going to make all things new. All things new. And sometimes when we're walking through grief, our grief can feel eternal, but it will not be ultimately eternal. Jesus will wipe away our tears. He will make all things new. Cling to that hope as you navigate your grief. So if you're walking through grief this Christmas, and even if you're not walking through grief this Christmas, if you're going to make Christmas about Jesus, not, not about all the cultural trappings, you simply must focus on Jesus. You must contemplate him, right? But if you are grieving, here's the thing. You may be in the best place to actually do that. I love how one of the authors said this. Sorrow serves as a tether to his presence. Sorrow serves as a tether to his presence. It keeps us needing him. It keeps us leaning into his story. Let your grief keep you tethered to Jesus. Let your grief drive you to the one who's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let your grief cause you to seek the one who came to bind up the brokenhearted, the one who one day will wipe away every tear and make all things new. I realize because of some, for some of you, the grief that you've experienced this Christmas, you haven't felt like and maybe you haven't baked those special treats and maybe you haven't put up lights maybe you have not gone to the company party that is okay you need to know that as you're navigating your grief it's okay to change traditions or it's okay to keep the traditions the same you just it's okay to do whatever you need to do to do what seems best but but here's the deal you don't have to fake it as you move through Christmas. You don't have to act like everything is okay while you're dying inside. You can rescue Christmas 
by knowing that you are right at home with the first Christmas. And you can rescue it by focusing on Jesus, the one who's come in all that is true of him. Now, there's a lot more that I wish we had time to say about grief, um, navigating grief, particularly at Christmas. Um, but let me just mention some resources that are available. There's the, these devotional readings that uh, have been prepared every week. Uh, there's more out uh, in the, the lobby again. But on the very front page, there are some ministries of faith that are listed there that could be really helpful in the days ahead. Things like Divorce Care, Stephen Ministry, um, Grief Share, Heart, which is the ministry that, that helps those who are navigating infertility, infant loss, miscarriage, those kind of things. Uh, there's also community-based resources listed here, things like Pawnee Mental Health Services, Cornerstone Family Counseling, Katie's Way, uh, even the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. I uh, just want you to be aware of these resources. You know, if you are, are alone on Christmas Day, I uh, actually had someone come up after the first service and said, Brian, if you know someone, tell them, uh, because we have a place. We, we would want to help you find that place. But I but also wanted you to know that uh, St. Thomas More, a Catholic church here in town, they host a community Christmas dinner from 11 to 2 on Christmas Day. And uh, it's actually the first editorial in today's paper, the Manhattan Mercury, about that. And if you just Google Manhattan Community Christmas Dinner, it will give you information. And that, that's a that's a, a gathering of people to come together and have that time together. I just wanted you to be aware of that resource in our community. Also, we wanted you to know that this morning, if you would just like someone to pray for you, uh, pray for the grief that you're walking through, there will be some elders and some Stephen ministers up front, just kind of on the front stairs here after the benediction. And so if you, you want someone to pray for you, it doesn't have to be long, we can pray for you this morning in your, your grief. And so just come forward after the service if you'd like to. Before we wrap up, let me say just a couple of words to those who might be with those who are grieving this Christmas. There is a, uh, there's a little book in the library by Nancy Guthrie, and uh, the book is called What Grieving People Wish You Knew About What Really Helps and What Really Hurts. And uh, it's a great little book, a great little resource. I watched a video this week by Nancy Guthrie about a 20-minute talk where she's sharing some of this, and she's someone who lost a daughter, and she's talking about what grieving people wish we knew, what helps and what hurts. And she shared a lot of things, but let me mention three things that she talks about. First is just show up. Just show up. Offer your presence. Sometimes we stay away because we don't know what to say. And we stay away because it's going to feel so uncomfortable and awkward. And we just don't know what to do, right? Um, don't let that keep you away. Show up. Just show up. And, and don't worry about having words that are going to fix things. Because here's the little truth. Your words cannot fix things. You're, honestly, your words cannot make things better. They're, they're experiencing grief. But you showing up, that matters. It just says I'm here for you. I'm present. So show up. Secondly, speak up. And, and there's a whole lot I'd like to say about things we shouldn't say in terms of speaking up, like, you know, well, it's not as bad as this person I heard about, or I'm sure you're going to be better here real soon, or um, he's in a better place, those kind of things. Honestly, they don't help. Um, but what I mean by speak up is to acknowledge the pain, acknowledge the grief. 
See, sometimes when we get with people, we're with our friend, and they've had a loss, and, and maybe a little bit of time has, like, to talk about it at the, the funeral or right when it happens, it's kind of normal then, but when we begin to get some distance, we, we can stop talking about it. And, and, and the, what happens for the person who's grieving is it makes them feel like we don't care. And of course we care. We do care. But we think, I don't want to bring it up because I don't want to make them sad. They are sad. You're not going to make them sad by bringing up the, the, the grief, right? By bringing it up, you're saying, I, I know you're still on this journey and I care about you. And, and it can be like, how do you do that in a comfortable way? I don't know. But, you know, even things like, you know, I, I've been thinking about John. I'm sure you're, you're missing him. I, I miss his laugh. I miss the times we spent together. Or, or I'm sure that this has to be a really hard time as you're kind of walking through this season after your divorce, you know, how you doing? I mean, just, it's good to name it. And they may cry, and that is okay. Show up, speak up. And then finally, give the grieving person time and space to simply be sad. Give them time and space to simply be sad. There is no right timeline for grief. There's no right timeline on when a person should feel better. Sadness is not a problem to be solved. It's part of the grief process. We need to give space for tears. Tears are not a problem. They are a gift. They help us heal as we're able to grieve and cry and and let out that emotion. Show up, speak up, and give space and time for people to grieve. Let me close with this thought. I've noticed over the years that even when we experience like a really good Christmas, like all the kids were home and the meal was perfect and, and the, the gifts were spot on and the puzzle was finished with not a piece being gone. And it could be the end of that Christmas day. And it was just a great day that I noticed in my heart a kind of melancholy, a kind of sadness. And even if the family is all still there, like, why is that? What is that about? And as I've reflected on that sadness that I feel almost every Christmas, I think it is that I look for all the trappings of Christmas, as good as those things are. I look for those things to give me joy. But see, joy is only found in Jesus. Joy, peace, True satisfaction will never be found by having everything right in our lives. It will never be found by having the perfect Christmas. Only Jesus can give joy. And so my hope for all of us this Christmas season, whether you are experiencing grief or not, is that we would focus on Jesus. We would focus on him and experience the joy that only Jesus gives. Let's pray. Father, into the darkness of our grief, send your light. Let your love, let your comforting presence fill all the gaps in our lives that grief has created. In this season that can be so busy and so noisy, help us to make time to seek you, to hear your voice. Because it's your words, it's your presence that gives life and hope and peace and comfort and joy. Father, in our grief this season, keep our hearts focused on the real story. Keep us focused on the one who has come. 
Jesus Christ. Amen.